Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, as questions continue about the party's leadership, the Conservatives hold their first caucus meeting since the election. Mr. Scheer is going to face a leadership challenge potentially in April. Yeah, they have to decide whether they're going to have a leadership vote anyway. Uh, his attention is all going to be on surviving that. An American lawmaker is in Canada to talk about North American free trade. The Canadians are ready to go ahead. Uh, the Mexicans have already gone there. Uh, it's just the Americans, and, and, and as we all know, they, they have a lot of problems uh, internally. You know, most of the House of Representatives is tangled up trying to impeach Donald Trump. And a Western separation group wants federal party status. In Alberta, we got to decide, do we want to be ruled by Justin Trudeau or somebody worse? Or do we want to take control of our own affairs? It's Wednesday, November 6th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald, Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. This is obviously an important day for Andrew Scheer, with the Conservatives holding a caucus meeting today and uh, lots of questions about his future. Uh, I think people are going to be watching closely to see what he says and how members of the caucus are reacting. And as well, there is the vote that every caucus uh, has to consider taking now around whether to adopt some of the rule changes that Michael Chong introduced five years ago. So there's a lot at play today in this caucus meeting, isn't there? Yeah, there is. And, it, and it's interesting, too, that there is this potential vote. I mean, in, in order to follow the the Reform Act, uh, you know, as, as our listeners probably remember, there was a lot, you know, Michael Chong's bill had a lot of changes aimed at bolstering the uh, uh, the power and the influence of the backbench and the regular MPs. And this is one of the ways so that they can decide today, potentially, I don't know if they will, but they can decide whether or not to adopt measures that could lead, uh, you know, it's all very maybe and possibly and potentially, but uh, it, it's symbolically important if they do uh, vote to adopt these measures, which could bring about a review of, uh, in the caucus of Shear's leadership. So there are a lot of uh, rumbles out there in the country, I think, over Shear and whether he should stay on as conservative leader. And this is one of the most important areas where, uh, you know, he has the opportunity to rise to the occasion or could find himself in a lot of peril as leader. Yeah, and where do you think he stands right now uh, with his caucus? Uh, these are the people who got reelected, so maybe they're less frustrated than the people who didn't win election uh, to the House of Commons. But um, uh, is do you think he has the support of his caucus? Well, you know, that's it's hard to say without being able to, you know, kind of go out and poll everybody. Uh, I think you're right, though. I mean, defeated candidates are always the ones who are most frustrated because they put their lives on the line, uh, their reputations, their family, everything, uh, their employment, everything to, to run for parliament. And uh, if they go down because what they perceived uh, are the shortcomings of the leader, then they're going to be the people most frustrated, I guess, with the current leadership. Sheer, um a lot of people, I think, though, are scratching their heads, just wondering what was he actually doing during the campaign? Why was the Conservative Party unable to get the message out on, on Scheer's own personal uh, socially conservative views? Uh, why was, I mean, Stephen Harper 
reputedly had very conservative views on things like abortion and same-sex. I don't know about same-sex marriage so much, but certainly on abortion and some of these other issues. And, and he adroitly managed those over the years. So you could see where caucus members might be comparing Sheer to Harper and finding Sheer lacking in that regard. So I don't know. You know, we could we could see the potential for them to move Sheer out of the way, or there could be a long, drawn-out battle uh over the leadership, and uh, that could really get ugly for the uh, Conservatives. Yeah, and that's the, the alternative, obviously, is if this is not resolved quickly one way or the other, that it does stretch into next year. The Conservative Convention is in April, so uh, that's a long way from now, and and this could be a major distraction as uh, the Conservatives try to hold the Liberal government's feet to the fire during a minority parliament. They could be on the defensive for a lot of that time, right? That's entirely possible. And, uh, you know, this party, in, you know, its various forms through the years, has shown itself very willing to engage in internal knife play. And uh, there are a lot of very ideological people in the Conservative Party. I, I think they differ a little bit from the Liberals in that regard. I've, I've always thought the Liberals were more about winning and holding power and exercising power and governing than they are about any type of particular ideology. Although there, but I think there are thousands and thousands of conservatives with very strongly held beliefs on the social uh, conservative side or on the uh, you know economic side, uh, and it's hard to keep all these folks uh, happy together in one big tent. And it does take quite extraordinary leadership skills, the kind of skills Stephen Harper had, uh, in order to tame that beast. And uh, the beast looks like it's getting ready to. Uh, show its fangs yet again. Do you think Andrew Scheer can survive ultimately? I I think there is a question now of whether this is a 2004-2006 scenario, like Stephen Harper lost his first election as leader, then came back and won and governed for almost a decade, or whether this is a 1972-74 scenario when Pierre Trudeau almost lost government, uh, narrowly held on with a minority parliament, and then came back and won a majority. Robert Stanfield never became prime minister. Yeah, uh, I, you know, there are probably uh, uh, comparisons to be made to those two situations. I mean, the 0406 thing, don't forget, that was at the end of many, many years, I mean, of, of 10, 11 years of liberal government in Canada. And there was a sense out there that people were kind of tired of the liberals. They didn't really like Paul Martin. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, Chrétien, the, the adroit and able leader, was no longer on the scene. And so that changed things. I mean, going way back, uh, even to my youth, Mark, uh, for the 72-74 situation, again, you had this, uh, this extremely capable uh, individual, Pierre Trudeau, uh, with many powerful allies and a brain trust around him. Uh, that was able to come back in. I mean, I, I think that that would be almost a unique situation in Canadian history. But, you know, this time around, like, does Shear have the brain trust there? I don't think his particular group of advisors are held in high esteem uh, among the rank and file of the Conservatives. Uh, and, you know, they're calling for the heads of these advisors and the so-called brain trust and the people who are being accused of mismanaging the conservative campaign. So, you know, it may be that Sheer gets through this with the cuts and bruises, but that the uh, 
Hamish Marshall and, and some of the other top people in his retinue uh, go down uh, with the ship. All right, let's turn to another important meeting that's happening in Ottawa today, and that is Richard Neal, who is the chair of the Ways and Means Committee of the House of Representatives in the U.S., is in Ottawa to meet with Foreign Affairs Minister Christia Freeland and uh, Prime Minister Trudeau uh, to talk about North American free trade and getting it through Congress. Yeah, you know, and this is really such an immense file, and we haven't heard much about it for months, really, because, well, partly because we've been preoccupied with our own election campaign. You know, Canada did sign off, basically, without without formally ratifying it, but has signed off on this uh, new NAFTA deal, as we like to call it in Canada. And, uh, you know, the Canadians are ready to go ahead. Uh, the Mexicans have already gone there. Uh, it's just the Americans, and, and, and as we all know, they, they have a lot of problems uh, internally. You know, most of the House of Representatives is tangled up trying to impeach Donald Trump, which is uh, obviously something, you know, that, that is going to preoccupy their time and their attention. And also the Democrats in Congress traditionally are the, are the trade skeptics, and they have a lot of pressure on them not to ratify anything that doesn't... Um, you know, further entrench the dominance of the Americans in the North American trade situation. So, um, you know, Mr. Neal obviously is an influential uh, member of Congress, and, and people will listen to what he has to say, but it's a real tough environment to get anything through uh, the U.S. Congress these days that is not Trump-related. All right, and finally, let's talk a little bit about Wexit. Uh, the organizers of the Wexit movement are trying to get official federal party status, uh, uh, register with uh, Elections Canada in that uh, regard. And uh, and it's interesting because you, you can see the wheels turning around this of, of thinking, look, the Bloc Québécois got more than 30 seats representing only Quebec in the House of Commons. Then why shouldn't Western Canada, Alberta, Saskatchewan, why shouldn't we have a, a similar party that looks out for our interests and use that leverage uh, even if it's not leading all the way to separation, I, I think that um, I think th- that's uh, a logical conclusion for frustrated Albertans and Saskatchewanians. It's logical up to a point, but I mean, let's never forget, Mark, that when you're talking about Quebec, you're talking about a place that speaks a different language. Uh, you know, has an incredible cultural uh, heritage going back centuries. Uh, and the Quebecois are a people that I don't think anyone around the world would deny that. They, you know, and uh, the Albertan group that we're talking about, or these Western uh, separatists, are all over the map. I mean, they're they're part Trumpers, they're part populists, they're part economic uh, complaint. Uh, they have economic complaints. They've got a whole range of things. I mean, I don't know whether you know they'd be able to bring them to the point where they could make a uh, an appealing political message other than just to be a spoiler and, and things like that. Uh, the people that are running that movement right now do not look like the kind of people that would rally um, right-thinking Canadians to their cause. They're a bunch of sort of phony Trump people. Um, and as we all know, Trump is loathed and despised in Canada, so I don't think using him as an example of politics is going to help them. Uh, but that said, they certainly have every right to band together, to follow the rules, to become a political party, fill out the forms, pay the whatever fees, and and to exercise their 
total, complete uh, democratic right to uh, organize as they see fit. Um, but that doesn't mean that anybody else, any other Canadian, including the media or the other political party, should give them a free pass and treat them as a, uh, you know, another Preston Manning. Uh, they're not another Preston Manning reform party. They're not there to enact democratic reforms that benefit everyone. They're there to pursue a certain agenda. So um, I think people should be rightly skeptical of them, but they sure have every right to organize uh, any way they want under the law. All right. Good stuff, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great day. All right. Thanks, Mark. Cheers. That's Dan Legere, author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald. In Alberta, we got to decide, do we want to be ruled by Justin Trudeau or somebody worse? Or do we want to take control of our own affairs? Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today at globalnews.ca. Kyle Braid argues that while separation sentiment soars in Alberta and Saskatchewan, there may be more smoke than fire. Braid writes, Before Wexit organizers get too excited, they should note that while residents are certainly unhappy, support for separation is still only at one-third of Albertans and slightly more than one-quarter of Saskatchewan residents. A strong majority of residents in both provinces believe they are at least as well off within Confederation. In the Toronto Star, Thomas Wacom argues Western independence will not make the oil sands more profitable. Wacom writes... Alberta is not suffering because the Prime Minister is plotting to shut down the oil sands. It is suffering because their expansion no longer makes economic sense. They still produce a return to companies that have already invested in getting these projects moving, but there is little incentive to invest more. Even if the Conservatives had won the election, Alberta would be in a pickle. By focusing almost exclusively on the tar sands, it has tied its fortunes to a fading star. In McLean's Stephen Marr considers Andrew Scheer's future. Marr writes, There is a good argument to be made that the Tories should give Scheer another shot. Leaders often improve with experience. But it is striking that nobody who isn't getting paid by Scheer is making that argument. His friends are conspicuously silent, and it seems unlikely that he can survive a leadership review vote in April. To avoid a drawn-out period of knife-fighting, Scheer should likely resign. If he won't do that the caucus should likely dump him. In the National Post, Chuck Strahl argues conservatives need to stay calm and give Andrew Scheer time. Strahl writes, Scheer has a big job ahead of him in the next few months. The caucus and party members will expect him to show that he has learned from the campaign and that he will make changes. Stephen Harper learned some hard lessons in his first campaign as leader, and in some ways his initial loss to Paul Martin paved the way for the personal and collective changes necessary to win the following elections. There's time now for Scheer to show he can do the same. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. As we discussed already, the Prime Minister and Foreign Affairs Minister Christia Freeland will meet Richard E. Neal, Chairman of the Committee on Ways and Means of the United States House of Representatives. That meeting will take place in Ottawa. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, November 6th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.